Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and we are talking about wellness, thinking and eating yourself smart based on my book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart available at drleaf.com and also my online program 63 Days to Think and Eat Yourself Smart. The mind plays a massive role in eating, digesting your food. It's an 80% factor. Today we are going to talk about wheat and gluten. I cannot tell you how many people ask me when I say, when they ask me about my diet, they tell me, are you gluten free? So I really think we need to talk about this. Let's talk first of all about the principle operating behind that question. And that is reductionistic thinking, thinking that there's one thing that's the root of all evil. So reductionistic thinking is when you take one thing like one chemical or one ingredient and it's blamed for the woes of mankind. It's kind of the concept of where one thing is made to represent the larger pop or one small subset of, of people is made to represent the larger population. So we see this in nutritional science, we see it in psychiatry, we see it in politics, we see it everywhere. It's it's not a healthy way of thinking, and we especially can see this in the way that gluten has been managed. Because in this day and age, literally every gastrointestinal disorder, every learning, every neuropsychological problem is being blamed on gluten as the problem. Okay, slight exaggeration there, but I mean, it's just really gluten, gluten, gluten. Very often when we are asked, when we go to a conference and things, and people say, well, what do you eat? And we tell them, you know, real food, organic, etc. They say, oh, yes, we have gluten-free options. So gluten-free is associated with healthy eating, actually is that the truth what we find is that one in five people are self-diagnosing gluten intolerance but non-celiac gluten sensitivity which is actually called ncgs non-celiac gluten sensitivity is not actually a scientific entity like celiac disease celiac disease is a scientific entity it can be identified through blood tests and there are people who do have a genuine intolerance to um, to gluten and their diet has to be managed accordingly and that's identified through blood tests but this non-celiac gluten sensitivity is not actually a scientific category so where did it come from what happened the exact triggers by which gluten triggers um, symptoms have not actually yet been discovered so we're talking about something that actually hasn't been researched properly and there aren't actual triggers so what is it what are people talking about there's another factor to consider the modern american diet that we've talked extensively about and that i talk extensively about in my book has changed grains okay and the way we eat grains so we have to look at that fact and that's that's what's a, a large part of what's contributing to how people are reacting to food so let's start at the beginning very quickly a professor peter gibson from monash university published research in 2011 and this has been the most cited evidence for this non-celiac gluten sensitivity that people keep talking about and it gave impetus to the gluten-free diet which has now become an uh, industry estimated to reach 15 billion. Professor Peter Gibson did something that all good scientists do and that is re-evaluate your research and check you know are your findings exactly what they should be and he re-evaluated his research and changed his opinions. Why? Because he found that there were various variables that were not controlled for in his research. So variable is something that you'd have to try to control 
when you do scientific research, you have to try and control as many variables as possible to make sure that you're actually testing what you say you test. So he was not happy with his results because he didn't feel that he'd controlled all the variables related to testing for gluten, and he repeated his trials. His repeated trials kept gluten but removed all potential variables like other dietary triggers like, for example, preservatives like benzoates, propionates, sulfites, nitrites, and poorly absorbed short-chain carbohydrates, which are known as FODMAPs. So a FODMAP is a weird word, but it's a short-chain carbohydrate that's very poorly absorbed and that can affect how the gut functions. And you find that a FODMAP you can find in things like, you know, the easy word to understand is sugar alcohols. Um, so he came with doing his redoing his research in this way. He came to the opposite conclusion of his original research, and he couldn't find any specific response to gluten. So what he found from his what he uh, the, the conclusion he came to was that there's no specific response to gluten when gluten was maintained in the diet. But he he um, he, um, uh, as I mentioned, gluten was made was he kept gluten, but he removed other potential triggers. But he didn't find any specific response to gluten. So he felt that it was partly the nocebo effect. The the, the nocebo effect is when your mind anticipates something negative is going to happen. It's the opposite of the placebo effect, where your mind anticipates something positive is going to happen and then your mind is so strong that it actually changes, causes a, a positive impact in the body. The nocebo effect, it works in the same way, but the opposite. So you anticipate something negative and your body responds accordingly. So it follows the mind, which is the mind-brain connection. So he also found that um, he also found that FODMAPs, sugar alcohols, when when they are, they are actually removed in gluten-free diets, and it actually, he thinks that people are responding to these sugar alcohols, which are removed in gluten-free diets. So people are responding to the nocebo and the, the sugar alcohols, not the gluten. And he feels that those are responsible and he felt more research was needed. So he, he called for, the conclusion of his study was he called for much more research before we, um, on this whole concept of gluten intolerance, and we need to look at, um, at research done in the context of whole food and not to make sweeping statements, to be very, very cautious about this. So let's talk now with me in the studio today. I've got my daughter, Jessica, again, who runs our NGO, uh, the Whole Mind, the Whole Mind Project. She's very knowledgeable about food and food science, etc. And we are going to just talk a little bit more together about wheat and gluten. So um, gluten is the general name, Jess, for proteins found in things like in wheat, all the different types of wheat. You know, you get so many different types of wheat, mm-hmm. like Durham and Emma and Spelt and Farina and Caro and Kamutin. There's just so many great, great different types of wheat, rye, barley, etc. Um, and gluten actually helps foods maintain their shape. They have a very important role. They act as the glue that holds foods together. And they can be found in many types of food, even ones that we don't expect to to, um, to find them in. It, and what it is, is gluten is a protein that is found in the cereals, grains, endosperm. And the endosperm is the tissue that is produced in seeds that are ground to make flour, and it makes the flour starchy. So it's a protein, it's found in the endosperm, and it makes the flowers starchy so it's very important because it nourishes plant embryos during germination okay i'm stressing this it's a protein found in the endosperm endosperm and it is for nourishment so it's not a bad thing so we think gluten oh gluten's evil but actually well once again it comes down to us reducing um the food to one element like fats carbohydrates proteins or glutens and making this element the demon rather than thinking of the context of food in lifestyles And so gluten has been, I mean, obviously an essential part of civilization since the beginning of time. Bread is like the essential 
you know, food. I mean, when when it says in the Bible, the bread and the wine, that is actually comes from a very a concept that's so integral integral to you know ancient civilizations to our civilizations today. Like really, the bread and wheat really represents food in so many cultures, in arts, in literature. And so it's an incredibly important part of the human diet. Exactly. And it's also an incredibly nutritious part of the human exactly. diet. Because ancient grains, obviously, they're a good source of vitamin B and E and potassium, magnesium, iron and zinc. And also we, we the wheat berries, they've got three different layers. And this is really important because these these three different layers each perform a different function. So I want you just to very quickly, I'm going to get science again, but I want you just to hear what happens to our wheat and to see, to help you shift your mind to, to realizing that it's not the gluten that's the evil, it's what's being done to the wheat that is causing a lot of problems and what's being added to the wheat. So wheat berries have got three layers. The bran layer is the outer layer, and it's the hard outer layer. Um, then, the, then you get the fiber layer that slows digestion to control blood sugar levels and get rid of toxins and prevent constipation and GI problems. So that's the hard outer layer, okay? Then we get the endosperm, which is the middle layer, and it's the starchy layer and contains the protein, which is the gluten. And then you get the germ layer, which is the inner layer, which is loaded with wheat germ oil and fatty acids and capable of sprouting a new plant. Now, even if you don't remember all of that, you heard a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things. Now, wheat today, however, has been dramatically changed with the dysfunctional food system we had a we have a huge diversity of wheat that has been reduced from diversity to a to monoculture so we've gone from 30,000 varieties exactly to a so I mean we've hybrid. gone from thousands of different kinds of wheats and which are thankfully being rediscovered today many of them and that's why you get special ancient grains like kamut and stuff but now we have like a high yield hybrid dwarf wheat which is the most popular that originated in the 1960s which was a response actually to getting more food to people that don't don't starve of starve um, starve and die of malnutrition and starvation, and so the the origin of this wheat had good like, intentions. good intentions, but unfortunately we've seen the results, and so really now we've got wheat that's processed for longer shelf life, increased profits, so you can have a, a, a loaf that you buy at the shops that can last for, I mean, it can last for months, where bread bread only used to last for a couple days and then you would have to throw it out or I mean that's why stale bread was actually used as plates in the middle ages Nick, absorb, right? yeah. I love that and know. so that's how hard it was you don't have to do, use a and dishwasher so, <laughs> you know it's essentially you know it's a it's it's crazy how it has changed but unfortunately because we have processed it so much you know we've removed so much of the like the bran layer and the germ layer has been removed and only the um only the endosperm is used but we've got rid of the oils which actually cause it to rot which means essentially that the bacteria wants the bread that's what rotting is so the thing is if your bread if your bread doesn't go rotten or if your bread doesn't go off then the bacteria doesn't even want it so then you should ask if you should even eat it that's kind of a scary thought you know talking about that you we've got a doctor friend who has a um a hamburger from a um a take fast food joint and it's been sitting in there in just open in a little cabinet for the last almost 10 years and it's still no mold on it and it's so it's all the bread's highly processed the meat's highly processed everything's highly processed and nothing's happened it's still alive do you want something i mean if something's not going rotten within 24 hours you should not be putting it in your body exactly i mean your bread should be from the day you get it it should be going stale so my number one tip would be is to buy bread that goes off that exactly. goes stale because if it doesn't go stale 
then you don't want to eat it. Because if the bacteria doesn't want to eat it, you don't even want to eat it. Really think about that. And also... It was only a few yeah, ingredients. Yeah, and really, you, you want to try to get bread that um, uses the whole kernel. So you want to use... Um, many bakeries, thankfully, in the United States, there's a huge resurgence of the traditional bread-making movement. And like we actually have a German bakery by us that do traditional methods. And they make the most delicious bread that uses the whole... Um, the whole... Kernel. Everything about the kernel. And so you get all those extra vitamins, you get all those oils. And so it goes off quicker, but honestly, the bread is fresh tasting, it's delicious. And so you really want to avoid, if you're going to buy bread, avoid anything that doesn't you know go all, like doesn't go off it's that awful. you can just buy in a plastic bag on the shelf in a grocery store you must be sometimes you can find already. bread in healthier food stores in the freezer section and that means they have to freeze it because if they leave it out it's, it's going to go rotten go. Mm-hmm. and so you really want to make sure that you buy bread that actually goes off and I promise you the taste and the freshness of bread that you get fresh baked from a local bakery there's so many around the world it's around, delicious. and it's, and just, it tastes it's delicious and, and it's, it's easy taste. to make as well and it's digestible it's not going to you know the, yes. the, the bread and I mean, it's been so processed. Obviously, it's many of us have developed sort of intolerances to fast food bread, really, processed food Which bread. Is like a good any thing. processed food, we can develop an intolerance because our body can't digest it that well. Which is so a good if thing. you do your find body your body's you. telling you, yeah, to listen to your body. But if you do find that you can't tolerate bread and gluten free makes you uh, feel better, then what you really want to do is you want to um, be able to get as many gluten free gluten-free bread that's fresh made probably break it yourself using low sugar alternatives because a lot of times that they um they replace the gluten with like white flour i mean white rice flour potato very flour highly which processed. is very starchy highly processed as well so you want to get unprocessed flours and whether it's wheat um, breads or gluten-free breads you want to get you want to try get sprouted bread which essentially means that in the process of um uh, in the process of making that bread, they preserve the nutrients of it. Um, and so you really want to try to look for sprouted breads. You want to try to look for natural, uh, organic breads where they use organic grains. And you can even bake it yourself. And that's actually a great way for you to save money. It's because you can buy a huge, giant packet of kernels um, and wheat, or wheat berries. And grind them yourself. And grind them yourself and make them yourself. And you can save yourself so much money and have satisfying, delicious tasting bread. And your house, house will actually smell amazing Amazing. your apartment your house wherever you live you bake bread and i promise you it is the best smell that you'll ever get better any than any candle (laughs) exactly now let's just talk about just a little bit about what processing of these hybrid versions of the wheat that has been in the monoculture type wheat that they use the hybrid version when they when they process it the bran layer and the germ layer are actually removed as jess mentioned this i just want to stress it the endosperm layer is used then there's high heat that it goes through which kills the proteins the natures of proteins then it's put through a high speed roller where most nutrients are eliminated so around 80% of the B1 B2 and 6 86% of vitamin E up to 80% of calcium phosphorus magnesium potassium sodium chromium manganese iron cobalt zinc copper selenium all removed then chemicals are added seeds are treated with fungicide before being planted crops are sprayed with hormones and pesticides in the field at harvest it's stored in chemically treated bins to kill the insects then they spray it again I mean you can hear there's just one bad thing done after another it's not the gluten I mean gluten it's amazing that, we, that anyone's able to tolerate at any degree exactly so it's not the spread. gluten that we intolerate that we're not tolerating it's all that, that yeah we're not so tolerating. it's like the context of once again this idea of big picture what happens to your bread 
not only how you eat it, but also like how has it been processed? How has it been made? Is it in a factory or is it in a kitchen? Is it using the whole kernel or is it only using a processed part so that you can just get this this bread that tastes kind of like cardboard or doesn't even have that it's much taste to it? strange sounding ingredients. Like, I mean, I promise you, just compare the taste to fresh baked bread using like organic sourdough and compare that to your sandwich bread that you get at the grocery store and i mean it tastes disgusting it's, it's, really. it's awful you wonder how people then that's why they have to add all the sugars to make it taste nice the high fructose corn syrup okay so just last thing that i want to point out here is that a lot of preservatives and additives are added and we get a lot of questions about the impact of that on the brain and they have do have serious side effects um there's some for example there's ace there's a really weird um synthetic chemical called azodia azodicarbonamide it's a synthetic chemical that's used to manufacture rubber and plastic and it's used in the United States as a food additive to bleach the flour and to condition the dough in industrial bread. I mean that's what you're putting this is the same chemical may cause respiratory problems such as asthma and allergies um, in, in the workers who come into contact at contact with it let alone let alone putting that in your brain i mean there's so many more facts i have loads more facts in my book think and eat yourself smart about how this affects your brain and your mind and affects how you're functioning so i encourage you to get the book join us on this wellness journey and learn with us how to think and eat yourself smart thank you for joining us today and we look forward to sharing more on wellness in the next podcast